0: I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is Please, Go On. Our guest this week is a Mississippi doctor who wrote an op-ed titled, I've Seen Too Much Dying. This is a vaccine plea to my fellow Southerners.
1: It is not honorable to invite others to die for your personal opinions or beliefs. People are being infected because of recklessness, their own or someone else's. (laughs)
0: Rick Boyd is medical director for palliative and supportive care at Forest General Hospital in Hattiesburg. Mississippi has one of the lowest vaccination rates and highest death rates from COVID in America. They're related, of course. At the White House last week, President Biden called out Mississippi's Republican governor, Tate Reeves, for threatening to join a lawsuit against the administration's new federal vaccine mandates. In the midst of a pandemic that has already taken over 660,000 lives, I propose a requirement for COVID vaccines, and the governor of that state calls it, quote, a tyrannical type move. A tyrannical type move. This is the worst kind of politics because it's putting the lives of citizens of their states, especially children at risk, and I refuse to give into it. Dr. Boyd knows all too well how people in his community are reacting to the mandates. Here's our conversation. What prompted you to write this piece for The Washington Post?
1: I was increasingly frustrated, I guess, um, and concerned about people's safety, And that includes the people I work with, uh, the hospital staff, the people I uh, was in contact with every day, but also my own loved ones, my own family, the folks that, that I cherish. I was becoming increasingly frustrated that people weren't understanding, it seemed, how valuable getting a vaccine could be in reducing the number of cases. And the cases were soaring. And... Unlike in the past, we were starting to see multiple members of a family uh, come into the hospital sick, or we were seeing deaths more frequently and much more rapidly.
0: You write in the piece that the compassion of frontline healthcare workers for the unvaccinated who fall ill is being strained to the point of collapse. We've been hearing a lot about empathy fatigue from medical professionals on the front lines from coast to coast.
1: It's definitely there. I can't deny it all. Um, Obviously, I'm in um, a situation here where compassion is extremely important in my role, in the role of my colleagues on on the palliative care team. Uh, We have to connect with people, and obviously having sympathy and empathy for their situations is important in that factor. But I think it's true that there is a, a true possibility out there called compassion fatigue, Typically, people think they run out of compassion, but mostly compassion fatigue is the exhaustion and and emotional um, depletion that people feel when they're having to exhibit compassion on a frequent basis. And so I do think that's happening. People are becoming somewhat more jaded. They're not optimistic about outcomes. um, And I do think they are concerned and sometimes even to the point of anger uh, over the situation I spoke with a nurse in the ICU within the past two to three weeks, and he told me about how his, con- his concern about his own toddler at home. He was worried about taking the, the virus home to his family, and especially for those who can't be vaccinated. I think the, the major concern for me is contracting the virus, not knowing it. I am vaccinated, maybe not being symptomatic, but transferring it to others, uh, even the, even other patients that I'm seeing. Although, obviously, we take all the precautions.
0: This pandemic's now been going on for 19 months. We're in the third wave. Fortunately, at least in Mississippi, the case numbers and hospital admissions are starting to come down a little bit. So hopefully we're past the peak. How has this wave been different from the other two?
1: The severity of illness is is definitely worse this time around. Death can happen pretty quickly, the age range is much lower uh, than what we have seen in the past. Comorbidities used to be the, the biggest thing we looked for uh, in trying to prognosticate, but now uh, we see people without any comorbidities at much younger ages, pregnant women. We have children now uh, having been hospitalized with serious illness, so it's, it's spread out much, much wider. And even though the cases are going down, uh, someone like me, especially, is going to be, continue to be impacted by COVID on a regular basis because uh, the deaths will continue to um, to come. Sometimes people don't die until two, three, four weeks into an illness. And so it's it can be rapid, but it can also be a situation where somebody even looks like they may survive, but then suddenly gets sick again, maybe with a, another infection or a secondary infection. So it, it's a very difficult situation. I don't... I don't want it all to come across as um, just tired or lacking, I guess, in devotion or dedication to what I do. And in fact, I don't even want to come across as somebody who has taken it on the chin more than, say, the uh, emergency room personnel or the ICU personnel. They're really dealing with this on a very hourly to hourly basis. Uh, It's it's just exhausting for uh, folks. And I I think one of the reasons I wanted to write the opinion piece from the direction I took is that it seemed that just telling people that they could get seriously ill or that their life would be threatened or just telling them that the resources were being exhausted just didn't seem to be working at all.
0: At least 212 million Americans have received one or both doses of a COVID vaccine. In Mississippi, 49.5% of the state has received at least one dose now. That's the fourth worst rate in the country. What are the biggest holdups you're hearing from people in the community about why they're not getting the vaccine and how are you responding to those concerns?
1: They're remaining incredibly suspicious of the vaccine. It was that the FDA hadn't approved it, but now it has. So I think things are switching to, well, we just haven't had enough time with the vaccine. It was rushed through. People don't know what the complications are going to be often it just doesn't have a real impact for people until they actually have a loved one or somebody they know uh, closely to get sick. Visitation is restricted to the hospital, so often their loved one's or family member's illness is out of their sight. So it, it really, all of it kind of comes together to create this environment we have where people are hesitant and doubtful that it really is going to have an impact on their own life. People seem to be trusting what they see uh, within social media much over uh, what they're hearing from uh, people such as myself. So I, I tried to just be honest with people and tell them that, you know, I support people's right to live the lives they want to live. But I think in by taking such a strong stand on uh, what is viewed as their right to do what they want with their body, they're actually uh, risking the lives of people they Hold dear.
0: I'd love to unpack that because I I know why and I think most listeners know why, but can you explain why it's selfish to not get vaccinated?
1: By not being vaccinated, you're actually not just risking your own life. You're actually risking the life of others and the health of others and definitely the health of others who are not vaccinated because you can not just get sick yourself, you can make others sick in the meantime, there's such a huge domino effect to this too. We have had to delay surgeries. We've had to delay elective procedures. We've had to delay admissions, uh, cancer treatment, even for people who are not COVID, but who have to now wait for those resources to be open again. So the whole thing is all interconnected. So if we only concentrate on the self, we forget about the community here in the south we have a strong tradition of helping each other uh, taking care of our neighbors Uh, we're often called an honor culture it's it's honorable to look after others and to have deference to our leadership and to uh to do the right thing quote unquote so to me this seems completely opposite of of what we feel is part of our best nature
0: why do you think hesitancy has been such a particular problem in the American South?
1: I think it's become part of people's personal identity. They're identifying themselves as someone who's uh, against the vaccine. Obviously, there's um, cultural, political overtones to all that. I don't profess to be kind of any kind of expert in those areas, but... I do think it's become so difficult for people to change that stand even in the face of what they're seeing or what they're hearing about. I personally know of uh, situations even within families where, you know, uh, parents and uh, teenagers are on different sides of the fence. And so it's, it's disruptive even down to the level of the family unit.
0: We'll be right back after a short break.
1: Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: CNN's Jake Tapper told Governor Tate Reeves on Sunday that Mississippi is the state with the worst number of coronavirus deaths per capita in the country. And in fact, if Mississippi were its own country it would be second in the world only to Peru in terms of deaths per capita. Governor Reeves downplayed the death toll and said it's an inadequate benchmark because it's a lagging indicator. We've talked about how cases are going down. But you mentioned the tribalism, the social media. What do you make of the way politicians in your state have been talking about this? Governor Reeves got vaccinated. Is it frustrating to not watch them be sort of more outspoken in making the case for people to get the vaccine? Or is that not really their role?
1: Now I think it definitely is their role. I think um, um, you really try to get me in trouble here, but, <laughs> 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 but I actually do think it's their role. I'm trying not to join the um, culture of hyperbole these days, but much of the political leadership, I guess, has not been in sync at all with medical leadership here. Our own Department of Health uh, leadership within the medical community has been— Doing what they can to promote vaccinations, promote testing, promote masking—all these things that we know work. But yes, the people here are getting conflicting messages, and, and it's it's difficult for them to know. I think sometimes who to believe. There is also a suspicion, I guess, that people who are um, really pushing certain situations, especially asking for mandates, uh, there's some suspicion that there's must be ulterior motives. But it will benefit us all if we can try to get a better control of this. And even though the numbers are going down now, I very much fear another wave, especially as we get into the winter and other viruses can uh, can become prominent also that, that have been hiding in the background, I guess, with COVID. But, you know, RSV, influenza, it's... I, I really don't think we should let our guard down again. Uh, We did have a good beginning of the summer, and I caught up on some rest, but it's going to get very busy again.
0: Can you explain why RSV has become problematic, why that's on your radar?
1: My background is actually pediatrics, and I've never seen a time that I recall where we had such an early onset of serious illness with RSV in children, and we have uh, seen that. We've also started to see adult people uh, become uh, critically ill with RSV. It's early, uh, and although it can happen, it's, it's surprising to see it this, this profoundly so quickly. And I think it's only gonna get worse. I think the people are, have probably a little less immunity because they weren't as exposed last year, largely because they were um, social distancing and masking.
0: Can you explain what RSV is for for those who don't know?
1: Respiratory syncytial virus. It's yet another one of the viruses that can attack um, the uh, respiratory tree. Often it's just uh, a cold, and many people have had it, and it just turned out to be more of a head cold. But it can settle into the lungs like coronavirus can.
0: You referenced mandates a minute ago, and you had a line in your op-ed that jumped out at me. You said, I was once told that a Southerner is someone who will do anything for a stranger if asked, but will never do so if told. And this is the end of the piece. I'm sincerely asking then, pleading really, become vaccinated if you're eligible. How are people responding to this set of mandates we've seen recently? We've seen some uptake in vaccines. I wonder how much of it is Delta scaring people to go get vaccinated. How much of it is employers pushing their workers to get vaccinated, the federal government taking these steps?
1: Most of the folks that I know are are pushing back on mandates. Even uh, very, very close friends tell me, it's not that I don't believe in the vaccine, I just don't believe that it should be mandated. It's funny to me because we've had mandates for vaccines for years. People, um, children can't go to school unless they get certain vaccinations, and Mississippi has always had a high rate of vaccination for children, Uh, and it works. I don't have a lot of sympathy for people that uh, feel like that that's somehow foreign or new or you know oppressive. Um, I mean, we have limits to what we call our freedoms. It's for the same reason we don't drive 100 miles an hour down a uh, street that has a school zone. It's there are limits to what we can do because we may hurt someone else, and so I. I I think mandates are probably going to be the only way we can literally increase the uh, vaccine rate to a, to a point where we have herd immunity. Um, I'm afraid that's probably going to happen. I mean, obviously, it would be best if people came forward themselves, voluntarily, and um, took it on as personal responsibility to get the to get the vaccination because it's best for themselves and best for the people they love. But I, I do think we're probably going to have to have mandates in order to get. Um, the rates up to where they are it's just reached a point where people are are so solidly supporting their stand here and their belief that it's it's i, I just don't see how they're going to um change their minds too easily the stories of tragedies of people who were against the vaccine who are now sick they're on their deathbed and they're you know encouraging family and loved ones to get vaccinated hopefully those are helpful and hopefully those add to the legacy of the, of the person but I just think they're tragic. I mean, it, it's just so, it's so late because we could have prevented the whole thing from happening altogether.
0: There was good news this week in approval for younger children to get the vaccine. What what impact do you think that's going to make? You hearing from parents who are excited to get their kids the, the vaccine who are now eligible?
1: Well, some, yes. My daughter-in-law especially. Uh, she's very She's very excited. I think hopefully within time, people will start to realize how Uh, stabilizing it is for their family to now be able to to send their children to school safely. We won't have all these um, periods of time where they have to go on um, online for schooling. Uh, Parents are just exhausted trying to figure out how to manage childcare and how to manage kids at home. So I think over time it'll be more and more accepted but to be honest I don't think I've heard a tremendous amount of uh, people in favor of it so far.
0: Besides your daughter-in-law, who's obviously on on the team, (laughs) uh, what has the response been to your op-ed from friends and neighbors and other physicians?
1: We're polite in the South, I imagine, for (laughs) for those who don't agree. They just aren't saying anything to me directly. Um, I will tell you that I pretty much stay off of social media. Um, That's not... (sighs) Well, it was by choice, but it's by choice from years ago. I just
0: never got into it. so congratulations um, so, yeah, that's good for you <laughs> i I'm jealous
1: so i I think i I imagine I probably have inadvertently avoided a lot of um, of things um but but overall it's it's been favorable.
0: The last question I wanted to ask is many of us have relatives and friends who remain unvaccinated. How should those of us who aren't doctors? broach those conversations? Do you have any advice about effective tactics when it comes to trying to persuade someone we care about who is vaccine adverse that, that this is something life-saving and worthwhile?
1: Obviously, uh, trying to convince people that it's a safe thing is, is very important because I think people are still worried. I think seriously addressing their concerns is always best. You can't talk to somebody if you're just talking down to them. You have to try to understand where they're coming from. And if you can seriously dr- address their concerns and, and take their concerns as legitimate to them, you can hopefully try to, uh, to help them understand why they may be misinformed or uh, maybe they just misunderstand. So in fact, that's what we, we try to do here every day. Uh, I don't uh, try to criticize or um, judge what people think. Uh, we have to understand where they're coming from. Uh, that doesn't mean I, that I accept their beliefs as my beliefs, but having some kind of common set of facts helps you with a discussion. So I, I think that's uh, key. I don't think people like to be told, <laughs> especially here, I guess, uh, here in the South, what to do. But I think if you can convince them that it's the right thing to do, that, and that's, that's what I would hope to do.
0: Dr. Boyd, thank you so much for your time, and uh, hopefully anyone who's listening who hasn't been vaccinated will go get the shot uh, if they're eligible and they can.
1: Well, I appreciate it very much. This was um, this was very nice, and i I appreciate the invitation to
0: do it. This week, the death toll from COVID eclipsed the estimated six hundred and seventy five thousand Americans who died from the 1918 influenza pandemic. Obviously, we're a much bigger country now, so that was a larger share of the population. Record-keeping wasn't as good back then, so the number might have been higher or lower. But the hard truth is that more than 2,000 Americans continue to die every single day from a virus for which a vaccine exists. A century ago, they didn't have the flu vaccine. The latest numbers from Mississippi show that 89% of those who are hospitalized with COVID and 87% of COVID deaths are coming from those who were not vaccinated. Tragically, doctors are being forced to make impossible decisions about who to save. The long feared nightmare of rationing care has become a reality in some parts of our country. Last week, Idaho activated crisis standards of care, which means health systems prioritize patients for scarce resources based largely on their likelihood of survival. Some hospitals in Montana and Alaska have turned to crisis standards as well, while Hawaii's governor this month released health workers from liability if they need to ration care. Please go on is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, with editing from Allison Michaels, Renita Jablonski, and Michael Duffy. Our sound engineer is Dara Hirsch. Our theme music is by Ted Muldoon. You can find the link to Dr. Boyd's op-ed in our show notes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and review. It helps new listeners find us. I'm James Holman, and I'll be back next Friday with another edition of Please Go On, because... There's always more to say.